Welcome to Triple Zeros. I am Josh Buckhalter, your host. On tonight's show, we're going to be talking about the NFL Combine, quarterbacks in the headlines. We're going to talk about the Chicago Bulls and Chicago Bears. But first, we're going to kick off things with talk of playoff seeding. Of course, though, before I get into any of that, I need you to go ahead and hit that like button, that subscribe button. Share this, please. Also, follow me on Twitter at Josh G. Buck. Hit up the Facebook page at Clocker Sports. Hit up the website, ClockerSports.com. And, of course, the email address is jupes and jumps at gmail.com or you can hit up triple zeros no ease at gmail.com now as i said we're going to get right into it talking about playoff seeding and a lot of the goings on around the nba as the season winds down still about 25 games or so left but a lot of the the top seeds are set we know that it's going to be the bucks and likely the lakers in the west we know most of the field there are a couple of spots still unsettled in uh, a spot unsettled in the West, and then maybe some some movement late in the East. But for the most part, we know who the participants are, and I don't think there's too many surprises. One surprise I have to get this one out is my pick for the Eastern Conference Finals representative, or I'm sorry, the Western the representative for the finals from the Eastern Conference, the Philadelphia 76ers. Doesn't look they're going to be getting there. They are without Joel Embiid. They are without Ben Simmons. The injury bug has caught up to them. They were already a team that was living off of a very thin roster as it was, and to see them now without their 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 big their main guys is not a good thing. Now they are rumored to be getting closer to getting Embiid back than Simmons, but I'm not sure that either one of them is going to be. If, without both of them, they're not going to be able to make it happen. We saw them put on a pretty good effort over the weekend, but with Tobias Harris leading the way and a, a really shocking effort against the Houston Rockets from one uh, Shake Milton, but it just wasn't, you just, there's, there's, there's just, there is just not enough there with the Sixers if they don't have Ben Simmons and Embiid. And it's not an and situation. They need both of them. Despite the people who want to say that you got to break those guys up, regardless of if that's true or not, Philadelphia is not going anywhere without both of these guys healthy and on the floor. So, that was my pick <laughs> to make it out of the East. And all I can say about that is, well, um, the Bucks are clearly greater than the Bucks are better than anybody in that in that conference. I don't know why that's why that was hard to see before, but I mean, you know, they didn't really seem like they improved. It seemed like they got worse losing Malcolm Brogdon. Wesley Matthews would come in there and fit in nicely, but they just have the best team. Nobody got nobody else in the East got better, got good enough to close that gap. The next best team would, or the best team was the Raptors. They lost their best player. And for all of their efforts, they're still not the, a championship team. The fact of the matter is you team, look at teams, and I, I kind of see this with the Celtics, who've actually caught up to the Bucks of late and could possibly take over that second seed as we wind out, like I said, 25, about 25, 24 games left in the season. If you see... A lot of these teams like the the Toronto Raptors and the Boston Celtics, where they're really good teams. They're really great units, and they're, they're, they're better than the sum of their parts. But even their best players, and you could say that's Jason Tatum and Pascal Siakam are superstars, but I think you would more, they're more, real, more realistically described as being stars who are on the verge of superstardom. Now, of course, the playoffs are where le- legends are born, and they can always rewrite their their trajectory, they rewrite their history books for the quicker, the, sooner rather than later. There, but 
I just think that we're kind of jumping the gun, assuming that these are teams that could take over the star power that the Bucks have in Giannis, the reigning MVP. Now, again, these are really good teams, and Brad Stevens is better. I've always said better with teams without superstars and teams with, but I don't think that you can overlook the fact that Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are probably the, the first and second best player, Kim, depending on how you want to see Kemba Walker in that mix. I don't think that you could say that, that team is still is better than what the Bucks have right now. And without Al Horford, especially to slow, to slow down Giannis, there's just nothing that they're going to be able to do when it comes down to that match. Or should they be the ones to make it there? Now, well, they wouldn't. They would face them in one of the early ones before the finals. Now you have the Miami Heat, who have a very similar home record to what the Bucks have. You know, the Bucks have had have that great. I think they've only lost seven games or something like that at home. You have the Heat, who've lost only six. The Heat can win a, that first round series if they end up playing the Pacers, who are still trying to kind of find their way. They're they're a really good team, but I think they'll be a better team next year. But the Heat can take a, a home series if they can get their guys back healthy. I'm just not sure that again. No matter who you're looking at, two through what seven, two through six, because seven and eight are up for grabs uh, to sub 500 teams. I'm not sure that there's any team that, that can even remotely challenge the Bucks. So I think it's the Bucks in the finals this year. After I, I this whole thing started off with me talking about how the, how Philly uh, is no longer going to be a viable option for me going forward. <laughs> I'm going to have to move my put my my stock into something else, and it's going to have to be the Milwaukee Bucks because I just don't see there see there being any other team in that conference that's going to be able to challenge what they're putting down with. Giannis, who's looking like he's gunning for another MVP and is getting fueled on by James Harden, who can't seem to get past the MVP conversation. I've I've harped on this for a while because if you follow, you know, I'm a big fan of, of the Rockets and what they've tried to do with Russ and Harden. I'm a big fan of Har- Russell Westbrook's my favorite player in the NBA. Now, I'm, so I'm, I'll root for him no matter what situation. And I'm, I'm rooting for this to work out, but it's hard to kind of see. It's kind of, it's hard to not see. And not feel like there's there's no way they're going to be able to make it if this is where the focus is. And when you keep hearing Harden talking about how he feels like he's getting jilted. Now, granted, there's a poll up, uh, uh, NBA MVP ladder poll up that doesn't even have him in the top five. That's absurd. Not even going to argue that. That's ridiculous. So I'll give him that. But as far as it constantly being something that he mentions, I think that kind of needs to go away. And not because he can't think about it. That could be your focus. But... You're definitely not going to get it if you have to champion for it because there's a there's a difference in being confident and sounding like you need a little bit of humility or like you're whining almost. It sounds as though he's he's complaining about something that it shouldn't be the focus. Now, Giannis will go out there and say he wants to be the best player, but he's not going out there saying he wants to be the best player so he can win the MVP. Hard is going through saying, well, I'm scoring 30. I should be the MVP, but they're giving it to this guy because of media. And do you, like, there's a difference in the messaging here. There's a difference in the, in the presentation. Now they could be both doing the same thing and going for the same exact goal, but the way that they've gifted it to everyone makes it much more palatable coming from Giannis than the way Harden is presenting it. And I think that somebody, anybody should just be like, look, just chill and let it be because he's hooping. He had been hooping. The team is hooping. Russ is hooping. Russ is shooting a career high from the floor right now. I just had to throw that in there because that's my boy. <laughs> had to go ahead and get that out and make sure that everybody was well aware that Russell Westbrook is thriving in this situation. The people said, oh, well, Chris Paul couldn't get it done. Now, I know we haven't hit the playoffs yet, and we'll see what happens when they do. But I just think that 
It's a surprise what they're doing, and they could be doing so much more if the focus wasn't because they play they play the ultimate small ball. They're taking what the Warriors did and trying to concentrate it even more so. But you can't let the focus come back to individual stuff when you have so much at stake for the team. Just saying. Now maybe that's just the way he gets focused and it won't affect him on the on the floor. It's just a bad look more than anything, and I think that that's probably what's the worst of it. Now that does bring me to another question though, because you have what the what, what the Rockets did. I just talked about how the Boston Celtics and the uh, and the Toronto Raptors are, are a superstar away. Now, they could be on the verge of creating their own, but they're right now, in my opinion, a superstar away from being true championship contenders. And I think that you kind of have to put the focus. It's similar into the, the Western Conference where you have teams or a team in the Denver Nuggets who's sitting up there in second in the Western in the West. But. I think if it came down to a seven-game series, is not is going to be food for one of the LA teams and maybe even the Rockets. I think we saw something similar uh, last year with the Portland Trailblazers, where they were a really good team, and Damian Lillard is a superstar, but he's alone in that category. Whereas you had you had Steph, KD. You still had Clay and Draymond. You know what I mean. You had the you had the the the, the varying levels of super of stardom on that. Where you don't have that with Denver. Jokic is a star. Is he a superstar? I think so. Amongst the basketball heads, he might be considered there because of all the things that he can do. He's such a versatile player. Yo, yo, the Joker is a bad man, but I'm not sure that you qualify him as a superstar player. And I think that that's what ends up ultimately. I don't think that's what I know is what ultimately gets you to where you're trying to get to in the playoffs. There's such a wide gap in the talent level between superstar players and star players even that I think we kind of misunderstand. And I think that's part of why we see the team like the Raptors doing so well this regular season, but we will see them fall short when it comes down to it in the playoffs. If you don't believe that Kawhi Leonard was a difference maker, we'll wait and see until the playoffs come around and how the Raptors fare when it comes down to a matchup with them and Giannis. I just don't see it going the same way, not because you need those kind of guys to to ultimately take over. We know for the longest time, the adage has been in basketball that the, the team with the best player on the floor usually wins. And you do that by having superstars, multiple. That's why you. That's why the whole big three era began. Really, it's always been around. But why it began in, in Ernst in the recent, uh, recent times, because teams were, players more or less realized that you kind of had to get more ammo, duh, you know, keep it simple. But now we kind of saw a shift to the 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 two-star system. And you have it with Paul George and Kawhi and, and with the Clippers, LeBron and AD, Damon and CJ might that kind that should have theoretically brought them back. And I'll talk about why that's that's such a odd and I know Damon's been hurt, but why that's such a disappointment. Um you have Jamal Murray and and Joker Eventually, that'll be probably Joker and Michael Porter Jr. and Jamal Murray. If, they, if everything plans out, he continues to, to even increase a little bit. You're seeing duos. And I guess the question here, the really only, the only question about it is how long will this last? Will there be a chance that we see teams go back to the big three star, big three era of, of trying to get those premium guys and, and, and outdo the next? And I don't, I'm not so sure because I think that. What we saw from that was a lot of players realize that you can get better supporting members if you don't necessarily go so top heavy. 
So maybe we don't see that in, as as much. But maybe you see the two and a half, the legit two and a half guys, um, or maybe even two and a third guy. You know what I mean? Two and, and one third of a superstar player, just because you'll never see the solo guy. You you won't see that too much anymore unless it's the draft and he's just toiling away, a la Devin Booker, out in Phoenix. But I I, I just don't see teams like. Denver. I said, this, I said this before the season even began. Denver, Utah, who, wow, not what I thought was going to happen with them this year at all, but still, going to probably be the same result in the end. Um, Toronto, Boston, they're really good teams, but when it comes down to it in the playoffs, you need a superstar to take over. Now, again, especially with the with the with with Boston and Tatum, and. Siakam has done some too. We've seen Tatum do it in the playoffs. I think that there's a chance that you could see it, them them become superstars, and and so same goes for the West teams. But as it stands right now, if it's Giannis versus anybody in the East, I'm taking Giannis. If it's one of the LA teams versus anybody in the West, save for maybe the Rockets, who I think could give them trouble, but I still would pick the Lakers in a seven game series. I'm taking those teams. There's not really many options left now. And again, now, of course, this is me coming off of me talking about how the Sixers are no longer my choice after riding with them for most of the season. That's not the point. The point is I recognize that there's only a few teams who have a legitimate chance at winning the championship, and two of them reside in the same city, playing the same arena, which might be changing, by the way, as we saw that the uh, Steve Ballmer has been approved to buy an arena out in California, which are hopefully looking to move the Clippers into their own home. But I digress. There's only two, three teams in the West that have a legit shot at winning it, and really only one team right now, unless that team falters and some health thing happens. Obviously, that can change everything. That's the only way I see it. Surprises, though. I already talked about how uh, the the Utah Jazz were kind of a disappointment. Touched on a little bit with the Portland Trailblazers and how they went from Western Conference Finals to really out of playoffs right now and on the risk of missing them all together because injuries uh i honestly i think it's more attributable to them have having increased if at all marginally while everybody else probably got a margin got a lot better and closed the gap and surpassed them it wasn't so much they got worse they just didn't get as much better as everybody else did to keep up with the joneses as it were that's that's a problem for them surprises in the west though you do have the new orleans pelicans battling out with the memphis grizzlies who are also battling it out with the Portland Trailblazers down there. That's kind of a three-team deal down at the bottom there. And Memphis is kind of showing their age a little bit of late. Portland is trying to fight their way, or not Portland. New Orleans is trying to fight their way back into the, the thick of things. But what's interesting, I think the most interesting part about that is that that spot, the AC is the only seed that's going to be a below 500 team in the West. And it's barely because, it's really because, like I said, a lot of injuries and over and turnover with the Warriors being all banged up. So that's a surprise team down at the bottom of the list. The Spurs are down there at the bottom. You know what I mean? You got a lot of, of things that are not as they usually are or have as they have been in recent memory. And then you go over to the East, you have the 7th and 8th seed in the New York, in the Brooklyn Nets and Orlando Magic both sitting there with sub-500 records. And I mean like seven games below 500 records. It's not really even close. It's kind of an embarrassment, but we know that Brooklyn next year will be a much better team because the return of KD and Kyrie Irving, who's missing time now with his shoulder to get himself right, which that makes perfect sense because 
that's that there's no reason for him to play out this year. But in the East, it just shows that there's so much more of a of a ripe for the taking kind of atmosphere in the Eastern Conference, and that that's what made this season for so far for the Chicago Bulls such a disappointment. Um, coming in and you like that you like the transition out oh, smooth, right? Very smooth transition. Um, coming into the year, it seemed like there was so much promise for this team. They were finally going to be healthy. They had their quote unquote their coach in place, a guy who had seemingly got the team to rally behind him late on in the season last year. And flash forward to now, are in their twenty one and like forty to forty, and nothing looks good. Everything looks bad. It's 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 not a, a good look for anyone in the building. There's been rumors of Boylan going to be out, John Paxson going to be out, Paxson going to be staying. You've had multiple multiple injuries again, and now you've got frustration boiling over to the point where there's been rumors of Zach Levine possibly not being around next year. I actually kind of touched on that before the season too. Like if they don't go good, I could see him being traded despite the fact that he might be their best player. That also would make him their best trade asset. Um, But it's just a bad, bad situation right now because there was so much opportunity. That just goes to show you. And what's, what's worse is they're tracking again. And if you don't love, this there's no you just have no funny bone they're on pace right now to get are you ready the seventh pick in the nba draft isn't that crazy what are the odds it's i, I and i, I tweeted I, I tweeted this out at this point it's almost a ritual that they're doing this like they're, they're they can't be getting this by accident they have to be aiming for this every year and i'm gonna have to do some research about that i'm gonna probably include this in my next story for pippin ain't easy um the most famous number seven overall picks in the NBA, the best ones ever, because they're clearly trying to get that guy back. Whoever it is, I have to find out. I'm going to do probably the top seven, top seven, number seven overall NBA picks in, in NBA history. That's going to be a good one in Bulls ties because, it, oh, please let them finally get this so I can I can nail this one shut finally, hopefully, and figure out exactly who it is they're trying to get by making sure that they secure that that coveted lucky number seven spot. Now, that's not to say the players that they've taken in that slot, that slot are bad, who they received, who were drafted there. Uh, Lowry Marketing, Wendell Carter, Kobe White seem to be all useful players. Who knows what their ceiling is? Some more than others. I like Wendell's the, the steadiest. I think Kobe is probably the, the, the most explosive. I don't know about ceiling. Lowry probably has the highest ceiling, but I'm not sure if that was – a real ceiling or a fake one that he was kind of showing because nobody expected anything from him. Injuries have taken a lot of his time away. The Bulls tonight stole a win from the Dallas Mavericks who've actually found themselves sliding of late too. They did it without Zach Levine, who after getting auto Porter and window Carter back for this one, they lost that to thigh, a thigh injury. And it's again, the Bulls are kind of stuck in that, that air, that area of basketball hell where I just did not want them to be where they're not bad enough to get a, a, a really good draft pick, and they're not good enough to be challenging for the playoffs. And they're kind of going to be middling that way until they find a way to get out of it. And I think that's going to result in them tearing it down more than adding anything to it. Because if you're adding anything to it, that likely means that the people who are in charge now are going to still be in charge when, while this is happening. And I don't think these people are capable of getting the Bulls to where they're trying to go. Their best, most successful run came upon getting the luck of getting Literally the luck of the draw in getting the first overall pick in the NBA draft when they selected Derrick Rose. So barring, barring some kind of unforeseeable fortune like that where they get another shot at the first round pick, I don't see them 
getting the game difference making talent to overcome their own ineptitude over the past few years and, and right the wrong, right the ship. I don't think that the, the, the pieces fit together. I think that at some point we have to acknowledge that their lack of ability to stay healthy is part of the evaluation and not just a pause in the evaluation. I think that's the most important part, honestly, is that we keep saying we have to wait to see um, when they're going to be, when they're all healthy, how they play together. We keep saying we got to wait to see how they're going to play together when they're all healthy. We keep saying that. But eventually you have to just say, you know what? They're just not healthy players. They're just not consistently healthy. That'll have to be the realization sooner or later, I think, because other than that, you're stuck in this same middling area where you're going to be picking number seven for the next 20 plus years with packs and pulling the curtain, pulling the strings behind some new makeshift uh, GM in name only that is there to deflect attention from what's really going on. When I read that Paxson wasn't going to be losing any of his power, that kind of kind of turned me off to the whole notion because it doesn't seem like anything is going to be changing. And then to go to more directly on the court, you have Kobe White still not getting a start, even minus Zach Levine. That's just a side note. Look, I get wanting him. Jim Boylan saying he, he likes Kobe on the bench despite all the injuries because Kobe has a voice on that second unit. And the second unit did a, a bang-up job. They were likely largely responsible for the win against the Mavericks. Adam Makoka. Luka Doncic stopper, but I think you still kind of need to get him some of the, at, at some point you would think that they want him to start. So why not get him? He hasn't started a game. He hasn't missed a game, but he hasn't started a game. And the Bulls have had a starting fives worth of injuries. Now, again, they got Porter and Carter back, but lost Zach. So I, I just don't know why he felt the need to not, uh, to not put, Kobe. Now, of course, they got the W, so you can't challenge him. But there was another questionable moment, another another timeout situation where Archie Di- Ryan Archidiakono had a fast break and was going for a bucket, and and Boylan decided that it was a perfect time to call a timeout for some reason and cost his team points. And Luka Doncic took that chance to laugh at what the Bulls coach had done. This is very reminiscent of when the Kings were laughing at the Bulls after their loss and talking about how their Bulls are going to have to do a lot of push-ups and stuff. It's just a, a joke right now to a lot of teams with things that, that are going on. Now, Boylan's mistake is a simple one. It's just another one for a guy who seems to be constantly making them in the things that he says or really doesn't say and kind of the the the, the state of the of the franchise as it is right now, one that's really going to have a hard time rebuilding its image if it keeps things at the status quo. Going to take a quick break and when I come back I'm going to talk about NFL, but again want to remind everybody to read the Basketball stuff at Pippin Ain't Easy. And, of course, the website, the newly dubbed ClockerSports.com. Uh, coming back, talking about NFL. We're going to hit Combine QB notes. And, of course, I have to talk about my Chicago Back now on Triple Zeros and switching gears to the NFL. The Combine was this past weekend, and man, there was a lot of things happening. A lot of movers and shakers, literally guys running blistering speeds and things of that nature against a lot of air. Now, I am a fan of the Combine, but I am not one who can sit and watch the entire Combine because it's almost like watching a golf tournament. But no one's really a winner until you like 
it's weird. It's weird. I can I can flip in and out, but I can't watch the whole thing. Now, I do love to check out the highlights, and of course, you follow up with all the major stats and everything that happened. And as such, I came across a few interesting names, a few interesting storylines. Of course, number one, quarterbacks with small hands. Uh, there were measurements for Joe Burrow out of LSU coming in with less than stellar size, less than nine inches. And of course, he was talking about, oh man, I guess he's going to retire right now with his smaller than than um, preferable hand size. We know that that's a, a really big deal with the NFL. A lot of the success for Russell Wilson has been attributed to his hand size. Same with Brett Favre. Just saying. Not saying it's nothing, or not saying it's, it's something, but it probably isn't nothing. Jared Goff has small hands. He's had some fumbling issues. Just saying. Rex Grossman had some fumbling. Just saying. Might not be the biggest thing. Now I'm a Joe Burrow fan, but and I, I don't think that he it'll be that big of a hindrance, but it's not nothing. I'll say that. It's not. When you're getting hit, there has to be moments where having a larger hand can come in handy. Other than that, you had really fast humans, and aside from wide receivers like Jerry Judy, who ran a four two seven, and, and Gabriel Davis, who did the same thing four three nine, I believe, for Davis. You had Isaiah Simmons from Clemson, the linebacker, really the Swiss Army knife, as he would call himself, a football player. When asked what position he plays, he says defense. He ran a four three nine at six foot four. Now, listen, that's a big man, and he's flying around the field. Somebody's going to put him at weak side and let him just go get the ball, and it's going to be magnificent to watch. I'm not sure if he has the frame. I don't think he really does have the frame to be a pass rusher, per se, but he could be a guy who's kind of freelancing and roaming and has the ability to rush the passer should his assignment not be going out. He'll probably be on a lot of running backs and stuff if he's tasked with being in coverage, but in tight ends. If the tight end's blocking or the running back is blocking, I could definitely see him trying to make his way to a quarterback. Throw. And that 4-3-9 at that size... That is impressive. Now, it gets bigger, and when I'm talking about the 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 platitudes, the accolades, the the people also get bigger. Offensive lineman Tristan Wirfs and Makai Becton both had stellar workouts. Both shut down the combine. It came through with with stellar numbers. Uh, Wirfs ran a five forty five one. Some of them had sub four a sub five. At six foot seven, two hundred sixty-four pounds, three hundred and sixty-four pounds. That's a big, big man. <laughs> okay. And then you had uh Tristan Wirfs coming in and bench pressing twenty-four times, breaking Trent Williams record from back in two thousand and four. Listen, it's just a really big combine. These guys are, are massive people. And they were moving. And just go watch the video. It's kinda it's kinda hard to give them to do them justice, just giving you the numbers. And that's why I'm not, I'm having a hard time just giving them to you because I can read them, but it's not really serving it. And it's, it's hearing it out loud lets me know that it definitely doesn't serve justice to watching what these two do, especially uh, Beckton when he was moving at that 6'7, 364 and moving. And then Worth, just a strong, strong man at about 6'4, and he was doing his thing, doing agility drills. Um, like I said, he, was, he had a, a Higher vertical than DeAndre Hopkins, a longer broad jump than Ezekiel Elliott, and he's six four, three hundred and some odd pounds. These are big men moving. These are massive human beings. And of course, as I already led off with, there were some QB updates. Of course, being tossed around some of the rumors that we heard earlier. Some of the guys with ties to my beloved Chicago Bears, who I'll talk about in a moment. But you had Cam Newton is supposedly now staying put in Carolina. He had his uh, 
They like to use the word cryptic whenever they talk about social media, but it wasn't really cryptic. It was kind of direct, actually, saying that all he really wants was commitment. And I can understand that from the Carolina Panthers. He's been kind of left out there in limbo where you've heard numerous stories back and forth about what they want to do. Uh, suggesting from him sounds like they haven't really reached out to him to let him know what's going on. They should probably do that. Maybe they don't know, but they could even say that. We're just not sure at this point. That would might, that probably would, would go a long way, I think, with him to just having that kind of transparency. Um, another news you had, Philip Rivers. There's mutual interest between he and Indy. Now, I had been one who was pegging him to go to Tampa with his move to Florida and things of that nature. It just seemed like a, a perfect match. But rumor is now that he could be heading to Indy and there's mutual interest there. That's a good matchup, too. I'm not going to argue with it. I think he I would think that he's a little bit more risk taker than is preferable for that system and what they've tried to run. But that could have just been a function of who they had under center. And with Rivers, I think I'm pretty sure. I mean, there's no reason not to. You would allow him to sling it as much as he would need to. But they've done so well with building around having a controlled system and running game implemented into what they do. I just, I that just seems like I would think Brady before Rivers, and I don't think Brady either. That's just a, an, uh, it was an interesting development for me to hear be so solidified like that over the weekend. And then speaking of Brady, there was rumors Julian Edelman says that he's staying put. Now, who knows? Because we've heard everything. Now, the other thing that's, I think, more believable or more credible than even Edelman saying what he said, go go figure, right? Something more credible than Edelman saying that Tom Brady's staying. But that is the fact that there's reports of the Patriots wanting to work with, with Brady on a new deal, but waiting on the CBA to get figured out and everything so they know what kind of terms they're, they're working within before they lock him into any kind of new money. That being said, the longstanding belief has been that Brady is going to be on his way out and playing for another team. Whether that comes to fruition remains to be seen, but I don't think it's something that can be completely written off because at some point I think it's best for all. Especially if, if here's the thing. The real only reason why I say I can see Brady coming back is because it doesn't seem like either like the Patriots are well set up to to go on without him. So I think right now they need him more than he needs them. He clearly has suitors and he will have his there will be no shortage of places that he can go and play for. However, unless they are really, really high on Jared Stidham, which they might be in New England, I don't see them standing pat with their quarterback room the way it is. And that would mean or that means that they have to bring Brady back. Or they can go and target one in the draft. Who knows? See, that's the that's the hard part about this being New England is that they are famous for not being predictable. And in a situation where they can go in any direction, like almost literally, you it's hard to peg down which one is best for them, which one they could even be leaning towards, and which one makes the most sense. And, and not even necessarily makes the most sense because it best, it's best for the organization, but makes the most sense because that's just the way the cards have been falling. You've had reports of Brady moving, but he moved like not that far away, not far enough to where it makes a difference. You've had the the odd ad post where he was, you couldn't tell if he was coming or going. You've got teammates saying that he's staying. You've got other reports saying that he's for sure, for certain going. No one knows. And now it's actually the subject of my Bears article for last word on pro football. Another very smooth transition, if I do say so myself. Um, but the the topic was the smoking mirrors of the Chicago Bears offseason. And this one I actually focused on Ryan Pace, but it's kind of for every general manager and it's kind of the the rule of the day. 
and that is that whatever they say, kind of toss that aside. Yeah, they're good for interesting sound bites, and there might be some kernel of truth to it. But a lot of times you have to just wait and see what they do because that's going to be a far better indicator of what's going on and what they plan on doing going forward than anything they could ever say in any press conference with a bunch of cameras in their face. If you recall, uh, Bears general manager Ryan Pace out there in front of the press conference, in front of the, the gaggle of reporters and said that he hadn't given much thought to any staff change, that they hadn't given much thought to making any moves with the staff uh, so early in the offseason. And then I don't think it was even a day later they had made sweeping changes to the offensive court to fire the offensive coordinator, fire the offensive line coach, fire the tight ends coach. Clearly, they had already known what they were going to do. Now, I say that to say this. He also mentioned Mitchell Trubisky, and he talked about his commitment to him in that same conference. Now, I don't necessarily think that he was going in the same direction that he did with the coaching staff, where he's already known he's going to move Mitch out. But I think that his commitment that he reaffirmed again at the combine to Trubisky is only as far as he needs him. In other words, I have confidence in him while I have him in there while he's in the, while he's starting until he's not starting anymore. Then like, I think this is more in Nagy's hands than than most might want to realize. I think pace. And I wrote about this pace saying that Trubisky's strengths were reading the defense and accuracy were strengths when we've heard Nagy directly contradict that at that end-of-season press conference, could have been a Freudian slip, but he could have believed it. But what I think it really was was a nod that the head coach is going to get to determine whether or not they are moving forward with Mitch, and they're going to do whatever they can to bring in a guy that Nagy feels comfortable with leading the offense should Mitch falter. Now, rumor has it that guy is going to be Andy Dalton, and the Bears have reportedly already reached out to the Bengals to have conversations about a trade for Dalton. If you've been following, and I know I missed last week, but if you've been following before that I've been talking about, I am not of the belief that that's going to get it done. Now, do I believe Dalton will perform better than Mitchell Trubisky? I sure do. Do I think that that's enough for them, the Bears to make any type of notes in the postseason? I most definitely do not. And I know there's going to be people going to be people who say, well, Andy Dalton didn't have a team around him, a great team around him in Cincinnati. It's the Cincinnati Bengals. And I am definitely a proponent of of mentioning the organization that one player that a player happens to play for when talking about their success. But Dalton's turnovers are his own. His propensity for them, that's his that's his fault. That's his burden to bear. Bringing that to the Bears does not change, especially with the other issues that they've had. They still have offensive line problems. They haven't had a running game, and as of right now, they have one offensive weapon and one consistent one in Allen Robinson. Now, the assumption is that they're going to address that in the draft, but in, in free agency. But we don't know right now how that's going to shake out. They've been linked to Austin Hooper. That'd be a good one to go, a good start, a traditional tight end. And then, honestly, if you bring in Hooper and if they somehow manage to keep Trey Burton too. That's actually the ideal setup and what I think they had in mind when they brought Burton in in the first place is have him playing the off tight end role, the move tight end role. He didn't necessarily get to do that because they missed on Adam Shaheen, but that's a small school prospect. Um, And then Leonard Floyd's status was another thing that came up, and that was in in mentioning Dalton, is that Floyd could be a, a potential trade chip and trying to go get a quarterback, a Dalton, which might be a little bit too steep if you try to having to give Dalton – 
give up Floyd and the draft pick for Dalton, but you might want to do something like that for David Carr or Derek Carr. I always call him David for Derek Carr. Is that what you have to do for Nick Foles? I'm not sure, but that contract, they might want to be able to, to work with you on that, on that deal. Dalton too. Dalton's like a $17 million cap hit. That's not cheap. Carr too. And see, I got to digress really quick before I, for, before I for, uh, finish out this, the Leonard Floyd part. And honestly, this is kind of part of it. If they're going to move him for one of those guys, and you're bringing in a 17 to 20 some odd million dollar cap hit. Now, granted, Carr gives you some flexibility because you can get out of his deal next year for minimal loss. But trading for Dalton, you know you're not going to have. He's not a long term solution. So why why waste the capital? Why waste any player? Why do that? What what I don't understand the benefit of that. I know you want to maximize your defense and win now. Maximize your ability, your your, your Super Bowl contender window, which doesn't exist. Because you, it, it literally exists in a vacuum. Each year is in a vacuum. You can be consistently good and have a good starting point, but you have to improve upon that base every year in the right areas and, and capitalize on, on opponent weaknesses and all the right things and have a few lucky breaks even. So saying that you want a veteran because that and, and getting a Dalton because he fits with that, that theme is a fool's errand. If you're going to go out and trade trade for Derek Carr with the flexibility, with the ability to get out of that contract, with the youth still in his prime, who who's had seasons similar to Dalton in terms of the, 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 the peaks and then has had better seasons in terms of protecting the football than Dalton has had in, I think, damn near any season he's ever played. Uh, Nick Foles is intriguing to me, but he hasn't played well outside of Philly. So that's one that's kind of eh. Mm, I'm not really sold on that either. I think I'd like that better than Dalton still because I think that they would that would be cheaper. And I think that we've seen we've seen Nick Foles win. That's what's wild with Nick Foles in his part time role. Even though he's only been good in Philly, I think I'd still take over Andy Dalton because of the success, the level of success that he's reached, and the lack thereof for Dalton. It's just not doesn't do it. Same for Mariota. Doesn't do it. Same for Alex Smith. Doesn't do it. Jameis Winston doesn't do it, and I'm a Jameis Winston fan. Doesn't do it, and you got to hear it now. Why? Well, why would you say that? But you're an, you're a proponent of them uh, signing Teddy Bridgewater over anything, which I know is not going to happen. But I'm I'm so for that move. I will go pick him up from the Royals myself if they sign that man. I will t- I will take the offer down there and be at his door at midnight. Matter of fact, I'll be at his door at 11:59 because it's not against the rules. Because I'm not an employee. I'm so serious. They need to make that move. They won't, but they need to. Um, and the reason I say that is because I think we saw that Teddy can thrive in the system in New Orleans. He was thriving in Minnesota before his knee injury. He's familiar with the division, and he's a, a humble guy who clearly works hard at what he does. I just think that it's a perfect match, and they won't do it. I know they won't do it. It, it hurts. But I said all that to say that Floyd could definitely find himself, Leonard Floyd, with his $13 million price tag and lackluster pass rush, could definitely find himself on the move if the Bears decide to target a pass rusher in the draft that they've been focusing a lot on that uh, at the combine. Another position, and one standout that I think is one to keep an eye on with the Bears in that second round, at a knee position. Now, they've been focusing on edge rusher, and they were meeting with offensive linemen. They were meeting with receivers. But to be honest, they have options at all of those positions. They might not like them. They might not love them, like especially receiver. You might not love uh, Riley Ridley or Javon Wims, but you still have Anthony Miller 
in the slot, and you, if you expect him to be better, then you really just need that other guy to be a third guy. And I think you might be able to cobble together a third receiver between those two. If not, you can find one of the scrap people later on. You're not targeting a third receiver right now in the, in the draft high up. Offensive line. They might be targeting a guard there. I could definitely see them using one of those second-round picks on a guard. That would be the safest bet. Pass rusher, though, edge defender, while I could see it, and if they could move on from Leonard Floyd, they probably they might jump at that chance. They do like Leonard Floyd. They, I think that's the one thing that whenever Pace says, you can bet your bippy that he likes it. That's how serious. I said bet your bippy. That's right. Now, that means that that one other glaring, they've already signed a cornerback in Trey Robertson, who I think is going to get every chance to, to start this year. I think he's going to be your starting quarterback, cornerback, if he's healthy, in 2021. In 2020-2021. And then that leaves safety. And a, a small school, big athleticism, standout from Division II, Lenoir. I, I, I tried to get this right the first time. Lenore Ryan, see, he's 6'3", he ran a 4'9", uh, 40, 42-inch vertical. He was the only D2 project or D2 prospect in the at, invited to the combine. And I think that the only thing that you have to wonder about that is it's Kyle, it's Kyle Duggar, if I'm not mistaken. And the reason why I wonder about it, though, is he's a safety, he's a big hitter, and you just have to wonder if if – that's the player that the Bears are going to be trying. Now, I don't know if he fits their system. I'm not sure what they're looking for. They they tried to do the double free safety thing. Didn't work. They need a box safety. He is a box safety. Believe me. You just wonder if, if he's able to, if that's the guy that they would be looking at with that pick. He's a small school dude, has some athleticism. He didn't run what he wanted to, even though he ran a 4-4-9 his size, which is pretty good. Again, he's got that 42-inch vert. 134-inch broad. Is that a guy they go to look at? That's just out of the box because I don't think they're going to go. I don't think they're picking a quarterback, a second-round pick. I think they want a veteran, and if they're going to go quarterback, it'll be a first-rounder next year when this thing goes to crap because I think that that's what they're they're banking. They're going all in, quote-unquote, around a veteran group, and any positions added in the draft would be skills or need, You and hopefully both. It's it's an interesting. We're still early, still very very early in the process. We haven't even hit March yet with free agency, anything like that, or hit into the free agency period of March yet. A couple of weeks away from that. When we get there, we'll get a clearer picture of what they're trying to do. But just a lot, and I I can't I can't take my focus off of that Dalton. Part. I really hope that they don't get Dalton. I tweeted out they're really going to trade for this man, and it kind of broke my heart a little bit to even tweet it out because it's just I just I'm not convinced they're going to waste their defense and they're going to end up doing more harm than any type of good because even if he can beat Mitchell Trubisky, does that get you anywhere? In my opinion, it does not, and that's basically what I was saying as much in leading up to this one. But I I think the picture is clear now, as I wrote for Last Road in the Last Road in Pro Football. That smoke and mirrors is part of the Bears. Obviously, everything Pace says, kind of just wait and see. Basically, you can almost even believe the opposite, but you definitely don't take what he says at face value. Um, so we'll see what that what that means for the quarterback position and what that means for Trubisky. But I definitely believe that that'll mean there is going to be a veteran, legitimate threat. And that's I have to say that I will say that 
that I, I commend them for bringing, for leaning or trending towards bringing in serious competition. I might not like Andy Dalton in terms of how, how good he actually is, but I will admit that's legitimate competition for Trubisky. That definitely is. Now, where that ultimately gets him remains to be seen, but I, I, I'd have to admit that that is, that would be a, a surprise that I didn't necessarily think they would follow through on. That's going to do it for this episode of Triple Zeros. Again, follow me on Twitter at Josh G. Buck. Hit up the Facebook page at Clocker Sports. Check out the website, the new website, ClockerSports.com. Of course, read the stuff, last word on ProFootball.com. PippinAin'teEasy.com. And, of course, you can find my blog and every other writer that's on the site at ClockerSports.com. And, of course, until the very next time, you already know what it is, I think. For-